This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are rocking and rolling right along here on Birds 365 at your Mac and Mac guys. This Mac and Mac would be John McMullen, a football insider, SI Philly boys, right here on Birds 365, and his uh, knucklehead partner, Sports Talk mm. Radio uh, dude, Jody McDonald. J Mac, how are you this morning? Doing well. You're a little spunky. No late night for you. So, yes, we're ready I- to go. I actually got to bed at a reasonable time after watching the Phillies do absolutely nothing with New York Met pitching. All of a sudden, the Phillies were only a 500 club and watching it. Did you watch the Sixer game last night? Don't worry, Birch fans. We're going to talk football for the great majority yeah. of these two hours that we're going to spend together. But I just want to ask Johnny Mac, did you watch any of the Sixer game last bit. night? A little bit. I was in and out. I mean, it's tough to take it seriously with no Durant. No, I mean, what? how meaningful is it? No it's harm. very, very meaningful. Now, well, not, to get not the as first far. Seed. Right. That's why it was meaningful. And yeah. the Nets apparently don't care that much about it. I'm no. sure James Harden is actually hurt. Kevin Durant the day before had scored 30 points. So they're in complete game management with him. This game wasn't that important to the Nets. And if the Sixers had blown this up by 22 points in the fourth quarter and it got down to that a one possession bad. game. Oh my God, what a collapse that would have been. They yeah. held on and they won, but it had me glued, if not screaming from my couch as the lead just frittered away, but they did hold on and win. So yeah, shortly thereafter, yours truly actually got to bed uh, early tonight. I was quite glad I wasn't on WIP last night after the Phillies got shut down by the Mets again and the Sixers almost lost a 22 point lead. But uh, we'll put those things aside and talk. You know, real quick, Jody, I do yes. want to, you, you go all the way back to the Allen Iverson uh, era in the Sixers-Lakers final. I thought that was Larry Brown's biggest mistake. Different era. They didn't really have load management, but the Sixers were cruising toward the number one seed. And that's fine in the East, but they also had the top seed overall. And, you know, Larry didn't sprint to the finish line he kind of eased up on the gas pedal the Lakers overtook the Sixers for the number one overall seed that was really meaningful people look at that series and say well it was 4-1 it wasn't that close but you have the upset in game one I think it was I think it changed the whole uh, the whole feeling of the series I think it was a big mistake by Larry Brown 
Yeah, I would be one of those who said it turned out to be. I would have been with you, John, prior to, but yeah. then they actually played the series. And if well, they yeah. played it on the moon. Well, they were I really the close. Lakers People forget they were really five. close in game two as well. They had a chance to steal game two. They didn't get it done, and then it was over. Then it was right. over. But if they had won game two, then they would have come home yeah. where they couldn't get a win in three games. So yeah. who the hell knows if they flipped and they opened up in Philadelphia and then went to L.A. for three they weren't beating the Lakers. The Lakers were the better team no, that year. No. So uh, it was a great run while it lasted, but it wasn't going to end. Moral of my story is go for the number one seed. If you have the opportunity, go for it. I, it's meaningful. I always believe that in every sport. It doesn't much matter. Coming up off the throttle, game management, uh, that doesn't work for me. I'm a little old school in that way. Well, speaking of parades, we're getting ready for an ego parade this year in town, right? Uh, they've overcome <laughs> uh, dysfunction before, and parade. they will put it together and make a substantial run, a Super Bowl winning run. Uh, we didn't think it in 2017. I'm not thinking it now. No. Uh, is there any reason in a slow week, we got two weeks until the NFL draft, to see a silver lining coming out of the Novacare complex? Right now, I would say no. I mean, it's been a bad week for the Novacare complex. But, you know, we're going to have Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad on in the first hour this morning. I wanted to get him on because he's one of those guys who said, it's not that big of a deal, the dysfunction, the the political wins, all that kind of stuff. And most people are going the opposite direction. And he pointed back to the end of the Chip Kelly era, and he's right. I mean, the Eagles were a laughing stock. And two years later, they won the Super Bowl. So maybe he's on to something. If you want to hang your hat on some optimism, I mean, this team has been there before, arguably even worse situation when – you know, Tom Gamble is getting escorted off the Novacare parking lot because, uh, you know, Howie Roseman can't stand him so much. So it's it's been bad before, is my point, Jody. So that it doesn't necessarily mean if there's a little bit of dysfunction that you can't correct it quickly. And the reason we talk about dysfunction is the outstanding article done by uh, three buddies, the athletic reporters, that pointed out a lot of dysfunction in the Eagle organization. We've had two, uh, the three of them on over the last couple of days to talk about it. And it is what it is. It's reporting. And don't kid yourself, everyone within the Eagle universe has read, heard, uh, gotten clips from this article and have their own beliefs and the way that they're handling it inward down at the Novacare complex. Let me ask you about one guy in specific, Howie Roseman. Because it surely didn't paint Howie in a very good light, but probably not as bad as his boss, Jeffrey Laurie. And those two are tied at the hip. When something like this breaks, when someone comes out with as, yeah, I'll use the word scathing, an uh, essay, an article, quote, you want, report on your organization and you're in the crosshairs, how do you think Howie Roseman handles it within? And I'm not talking about just by himself, how he goes home and looks in the mirror, but just doing his day-in, day-out job. Do they pretend that it didn't happen? Do they get together and have meetings about it? Do they just try and 
briefly touch on it in passing and then get by it. How do you think it's handled when something like this is as big a deal as it has become here in Philadelphia? Well, I think it should be handled that way because I think anybody who's ever worked in an office environment knows everybody doesn't get along. It doesn't mean you can't do your job professionally. Unfortunately for the Eagles and Howie Roseman, he takes this stuff a little too seriously, in my opinion. The fact that he's got to understand there are people, he's the boss. I, I mean, anybody understands the boss isn't always popular, bottom line, in any environment, anywhere in the world. And then he himself seems to acknowledge it at times. I often bring up that Zach Ertz conversation I had with him when he admitted he was the bad cop. Um, so he seems to get it at times, but then you hear, he wants to check people's phones to find out the leaks. You know, I'm, Jody, everybody talks about the Eagles' medical situation because of the injuries over the past couple of years, and they say they change medical teams uh, all the time, and they blame the poor medical team for the injury history. I got news for you. They shifted the medical team after winning the Super Bowl for yes. the first time not because of anything that had to do with player health, but because how we thought one of the doctors was leaking information. That's why. Now, for whatever reason, it's been out there. People, but they don't pay attention to it. They just go along with the narrative that, oh, the doctors are terrible. Uh, they're the reason the Eagles have so many injuries. No, it had nothing to do with that. Absolutely zero. And, if you watch Amazon's All or Nothing, the Eagles edition, you will see an interesting part of that that I always bring up. And Howie's got dark tint on his windows for a reason. <laughs> because when he drives around and Eagles fans see him, they say some unflattering things. So I get why he's a little bit upset at times. But, man, if you have that job, you got to have a thick skin. You talk about our jobs, Jody. We got to have a thick skin. You have to have a thick skin if you're going to be a general manager uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles. And sometimes I don't think Howie's as thick enough, to be honest. Right. The only job where you have to have a thicker skin is when you're the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, because that is a tremendously or the head coach position. as well. Um, yeah, those three, are, they're the big three, certainly. And two of the three are new this year, one of which is staying, which kind of moves him to the top of the list of uh, those scrutinized because he's been around and uh, there's a lot more on his resume who, for Philadelphia Eagle fans to pick at. Uh, and as we share with you some of the uh, points that was put out in the athletic article, the paranoia that is evident down at the Care Complex this is kind of a big two weeks, John. The Eagles are coming up on an NFL draft where they have the 12th pick. They decided to drop down from six to number 12 to add future draft capital, which will not be seen this year, but will be seen in the future. So they drafted number 12 and have 11 overall picks. Can Howie Roseman put all his paranoia behind him for the next two weeks to be as prepped as necessary for a very important Eagle day? Well, uh, you know, part of the reason that paranoia exists is because of the transparency. We talked a lot about that with Bo, Bo Wolf, and Shio Kapadia over the past couple of days. But, you know, both of them said the same thing. The transparency outside the organization, well, that's bad. But 
inside the organization. That's even worse because you have scouts and personnel people who don't know who's going to get picked. So, look, I always say this narrative, Jody. You say, is that a Howie pick? Was that a Chip pick? Right. Was that an Andy pick going back to the days? You know, is that a Jeff Lurie pick now? Because evidently Jalen Hurts and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside were Jeff Lurie picks. So I think when we get to draft weekend, which, as you mentioned, two weeks from tonight will be day one. So once you get through the entire process, and I wrote about this, it's going to publish on Philly Voice this morning, um, you're going to get a couple Jeffrey Lurie picks. You're going to get a Howie Roseman pick or two. You're going to get an Alec Halaby pick. And you're going to get some Andy Weidel and scouting picks, probably later in the draft when you don't recognize the names. Um, that, to me, is the biggest problem. These should be Philadelphia Eagles picks. And there's too many cooks in the kitchen, uh, too many thumbs in the pie. Um, and there's got to be more accountability and there's got to be more transparency inside the building inside the building there should be more outside the building as well but you got to be hope for what you can get speaking from inside um right we know the people at the top of the pyramid jeff lori harry roseman uh weidel we don't know as much about the scouts they're the guys that are out there uh, during the year where i think it's pretty damn important i know everything now is video nowadays everybody's got video to be able to break down and analyze and scrutinize and go everybody's over and over and over. a scout everybody yes. everybody's a scout but some have been doing it for years if not decades and they have a very trained eye and i put a lot of emphasis on that and would have a lot of faith in it if i were a guy in howie roseman's position i hope howie is doing that and listening to his scouts who have been doing it for a long period of time but the scouts have to realize as important as their job is it is only a piece of the pie uh, this is something I can speak to. I know football is not the same as baseball, but my father uh, was in professional sports, sat at the top of the mountain peak uh, for three different teams. And he used to tell me about one of his jobs is he needs to scout the scouts that not only does he have to intake the information there, giving him an opinion and the uh, analytic numbers that they may pass on to him. My father's days wasn't as statistically driven as it is today, but you have to be able to scout your own scouts. You have to know yeah. someone says, if you're talking about grading on a one through eight scale, somebody's 6.5 ranking might be, oh my God, this guy's jumping off the page. Another scout 6.5 ranking might be, well, he's pretty darn good and he's got the potential to be a starter. Even scouts can differentiate between the way that they look at things and evaluate things and put things on paper. So you have to be able to scout your scouts do you think Howie right now is good with his scouting department? Does he have the people in there that he wants? Will he give them the trust they need to have it a scout-based draft rather than uh, all these other thumbs in the pie as you described it? Well, I think there's you know something from column A and something from column B. Yeah, I think he's got the scouts he wants, but you know he doesn't always listen to them. And sometimes it's not Howie Roseman. It's sometimes it's Jeffrey Lurie. Sometimes it's Alec Halaby getting Jeffrey Lurie's ear, uh, shifting things in a different direction. I think that's the problem. 
the Eagles have a very highly regarded personnel department. I mean, Andy Weidel comes from uh, the Baltimore uh, system, which is revered around the NFL. Uh, same place Joe Douglas really cut his teeth first, you know, before he went to Chicago. Um, and and you have so many scouts. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie coined the term GM factory after they made the mistake with the quarterback factory. And you talk about Joe Douglas getting the job with your Jets and Andrew Burry being here for nine months and going back to Cleveland and Anthony Patch and Brandon Brown and all these guys the Eagles think are future GMs. They're in place. They're just not listened to because if they were listened to, Justin Jefferson would be here. Uh, Jeremy Chin would be here. Arguably the best offensive and defensive players in last year's draft. That's who the scouting staff wanted at their picks. It's easy to say, well, I wanted the number one overall pick. Everybody wants Trevor Lawrence. But we're talking about 21 in the draft. The Eagles were ready to take Justin Jefferson. Uh, for whatever reason, Lincoln Riley recommended Jalen Rager. Howie loves Lincoln Riley. Uh, Rich Scangarello wanted Jalen Rager. They picked Jalen Rager. Who knows why? Um, in the second round, staff wanted Jeremy Chin. They wanted J.K. Dobbins. They, that's who they were arguing over. And Jeffrey Lurie swoops in and says, you know, probably should take the quarterback. Yeah, we got a quarterback sitting there that could be value. And even though it might have been misguided and or ill-advised at the times, sometimes you back into something that ends up working. Well, yeah. Well, I will say it's a small sample size. Look, Jeremy Chin was great, but I got news for you. If Jalen Hurts takes advantage of his opportunity, he's going to be a better draft choice than Jeremy Chin just because right. his position is so valuable. Second round starting quarterback in the National Football League that you have on a rookie contract for five years. If he is an above average NFL quarterback, it'll be a steal. And then if we're going to question Jeff Laurie for having made the pick, he's got to get credit after the fact if he is the man here in town for the next couple of years. All right. Speaking of the man, uh, one of the men here in town who generates opinions. And moves people. That's my opinion of him. Uh, our buddy Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Board is going to hop aboard, uh, aboard with us. Um, he thinks we might be overdoing a little bit about the Eagles' dysfunction heading into a very important NFL draft. We're going to punch up KK, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Board with us next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. Bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking, we checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off yeah, that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. You got to give us a heads up. You 
Because that's get you into it. No, no, no. We have no idea what you're talking about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to who? I have no idea what was, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's he talking action to? Real. Play action real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. And All right. Like, now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, 16 today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers, we are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future is not coming, it's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Edition of Birds 365, Mac and Mac Guy, John McMullen, Jody McDonald, hanging with you. Countdown is on to the Eagles draft. Will the Eagles as an organization have it together enough to have a winning day on draft day? I should say days because it is Thursday, Friday, Saturday affair with a whole bunch of picks coming on Saturday. Here to give us some insight to the birds and uh, commentary or two about where they're sitting these days on the dysfunction scale is our buddy from Crossing Broad. He covers it all for Crossing Broad, but we've got him in the Eagles crosshairs today. Kevin Kincaid joins us here on Birds 365. How are you, KK? What's good, Jody? What's good, John? I got the uh, baby off to the nanny, and uh, the coffee's finally starting to kick in, so I feel like I'm uh, ready to go. All right, good to, good to hear, Kevin. We see how the content machine gets it done. You, yeah, you right, turn yeah. out so much stuff. So. It's not pretty, yeah, yeah. But it's effective, whatever whatever, whatever gets you through the day, you know? Uh, Kevin, I did want to bring you on because I thought your take was interesting, especially in the wake of the athletic article uh, from Shield Kapadia, Zach Berman, Bo Wolf. Um, and they've been on with us over the past couple of days, so – uh, a lot of talk about the Eagles' dysfunction. A lot of fans out there want to get some therapy. You kind of talked them off the ledge a little bit and mentioned 2015. Hey, things were far worse. I mean, Tom Gamble was getting escorted off the parking lot because he couldn't get along with Howie <laughs> Roseman. Yeah. And they yeah. won the Super Bowl two years later. So yeah. I think it was an interesting point and uh, kind of expound on that, your, your thoughts on why this isn't that big of a deal. Well, let me give you the genesis of it. You know, that take just sort of came out of nowhere because yesterday Adam Schefter went on another radio program 
um, and the host was asking him about the athletic article and Adam kind of downplayed it a little bit for two reasons. Number one, I mean, the athletic is a competitor competing outlet. So he's not a guy from ESPN is not going to sit there and go gaga over something else that somebody wrote. I mean, to his credit, he said it was a good story and it was well reported. Right. Um, The other thing is that there's this belief that Howie Roseman gives information to Adam Schefter. So he's going to downplay it and he's not going to rip the general manager. And he does. Yeah. 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 Um, So I just sat there thinking to myself, like, look, I think, uh, Everybody has to – I think everybody's justified in feeling unhappy about what the Eagles have been over the last couple of years. But I think the difference in my mindset is that I have looked deep within myself and I have found a uh, an inner peace and an inner sanctuary <laughs> with the fact that Howie Roseman ain't going anywhere. Like, he's not going anywhere. So I can sit here and be mad about something that I know is not going to change or I can try to compartmentalize Howie's tenure into different blocks over 10 years or 12 years or however long it's been. And you don't have to look too far back into recent history to say we called them dysfunctional when Chip was fired, when Howie was removed from the broom closet and reinstalled, right? We called them dysfunctional after 2012 and the dream team debacle and all of that. And they turned it around and they came back and they went 10 and six in Chip's first year. So, I mean, we've seen evidence in the past of instances where this era of Eagles football has kind of naturally run its course and then they've kind of corrected and hit the reset button and they've been able to build it up again. So, I mean, when you, when you get over the obvious justified disappointment of what they've been over the last couple of years and you go back and you look at these iterations of the birds in recent history, you can feel okay about Howie being in a position to kind of build it back up again. Here's the reason why you're right, but I will defend Eagle nation if they are a little bit more put off than they used to be. You're right. They've been there, done that, overcome it, and gotten to the peak of the mountain. But that's the rub. They got to the peak of the mountain when we've had the ups and downs, and every franchise has it peaks and valleys in their history. You deal with it. But when the peak is the Super Bowl and you valley out as quickly as you do, and it costs a good man like Doug Peterson his job. And I'm really rooting for Doug Peterson to get another job, twofold. Number one, because he's a good dude. And number two, I want to see if he was as good a coach as some of us think he was when he was here, and that he was woefully mistreated when he was pushed out the door by the Philadelphia Eagles. Is Doug Peterson going to do what Andy Reid did? Now, I know they're two separate things. Andy Reid's time had come. He had a decade and a half. I'm not complaining about the Eagles moving off Andy Reid, but – he did go where win a Super Bowl somewhere else. I'm wondering if Doug Peterson could do something like that. I believe that's why Eagle fans are a little bit more put off this time by a dysfunction outbreak because the guy who won the Super Bowl on the sidelines for the Eagles lost yeah. his job because of it. No, I mean, it's insane to think that we went from building a statue of this guy to he was fired two and a half years later, three years later. I mean, you're right, Jody, the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. It was like being on the world's biggest roller coaster. You know, how do you go from that to that in such a short amount of time? That's why people feel the way they do. So I understand that. Um, But I think we can also go back and look at the patterns over history. And we say that after Howie was banished during the Chip Kelly years, obviously they overcorrected in a very significant way by hiring a coach that they felt like they could have some control over. Didn't even let him hire his own defensive coordinator, you know, fired the quarterback's coach and the offensive coordinator. So I think within those patterns of that, nobody should be surprised to say that Howie and Jeffrey Lurie always want to have the control, you know. So they hire an inexperienced Doug Peterson that flames out naturally. 
Now they hire an inexperienced Nick Sirianni because this is who they are and they want to have that modicum of control and they want to be the guy. And I think part of the reason I downplay it too is because when I was reading the athletic article by Bo and Sheil and Zach, I was having nightmare flashbacks to when I covered the Philadelphia Union and they did the exact same thing. Looked for, you know, asked the staff for their phones and threatened to go through their phones and see who they were leaking to. Not work with the coaching staff and the CEO was bringing in his own players and signing his own players. Look two years ago to Burnergate with the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, they were a total mess then, and now they're first place in the Eastern Conference two years later. So I, I think it's, it's, you're right, Jody, that these, these peaks and valleys are significant. And that's why people should feel a way that, a way that they do about this, the, the Eagles. But <laughs> oddly enough, I think that happens more frequently than people realize. Kevin, um, you mentioned at the beginning you wanted to compartmentalize when it came to Howie Roseman and the different stages of his sort of tenure. Um, But then you mentioned Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, and that is sort of the underlying thing to me because in a lot of ways I've compared Howie as the local version of Roger Goodell is to the NFL owners. I think Roger Goodell's importance is as a lightning rod for the people with the real power. Um, Think about NFL criticism. Everybody looks at Roger Goodell. Everybody kills Roger Goodell. They don't kill the people with the real power. Here, everybody kills Howie. Jeffrey is making these decisions. Shouldn't he be the guy getting the angst? Yeah, he should be, and I think it's shifted a little bit more towards that way as more original reporting comes out where we get these nuggets that show how involved he was. You know, as a counterpoint, we could sit here and kill Jerry Jones year after year after year because he goes in front of the media after every game, says a bunch of stupid things that end up on Crossing Broad, and we get a lot of clicks on it because people like that kind of stuff. But we we didn't really have the extent, the full extent of the story of how involved Jeffrey Lurie was. So we weren't going to go kill him in the same way, and by extension, it was Howie by proxy. You know, who was eating a lot of that mm-hmm. criticism. Now, now, as we piece it together and say, OK, maybe he's been more involved than we think, you can then go back in history and kind of apply that to different situations and say, OK, well, maybe he had his fingerprints on this a little bit more. The black ops thing about Alec Hallaby reporting directly to him. OK, there's another another nugget that helps us kind of put the whole story together. But I think this reputation that Jeffrey Lurie had of being a decent guy who is charitable and generally progressive during the whole White House, Colin Kaepernick stuff at the same time made people look at him not necessarily the same as you look at a guy like Jerry Jones. So I think I think just naturally how he ate a lot of that criticism because he was he was the guy in the public spotlight. KK, you did a good job of explaining your own mindset, how you can compartmentalize and keep yourself a little bit more sane when things are peaking and valleying when it comes to a hometown team like the Eagles. Does that play in for other Eagle fans in this way? As J-Mac just put it, uh, we really should be looking at the guy at the top of the pyramid, Jeff Laurie. Well, it's better for Eagles fans to look at the second level of the pyramid because there could be a change there. If you really think that position is being done really poorly and that the Eagles need to make a change in that area, that's a possibility. Howie Roseman could get fired. As ridiculous as it sounds right now with the relationship he has with the owner, he looks like he's almost got a lifetime job. But at one point, Jeff Flory did send him off to the other side of the building to hand the keys to the car to Chip Kelly. So you never really know, although it looks like right now how he's in pretty damn good position. Yeah. If you're hoping for that guy to potentially be changed, at least you've got hope. At least you can hang your hat on something. There's nothing to do about the owner. 
It's his team. Yeah. And I don't see Jeff Lurie selling it anytime soon. I don't believe the fans of Philadelphia could pressure Jeff Lurie into selling it. I think he likes being the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, unlike a bunch of other owners in the league who have major business interests above and beyond their owning of their football team. Jeff Lurie's job is the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles. So do you think that's why people, one of the reasons why people focus on Howie Roseman, because they believe we could actually make enough noise and affect change and get Howie Roseman fired, whereas you can't do that with Jeff Lurie. Well, yeah, and especially, Jody, because I look at the last couple of years as being totally unique outliers in the way that they approach roster building, too. Because, I mean, obviously, Jeffrey Lurie in his, in his postseason <laughs> press conference basically said something to the effect of, look, you know, we probably wouldn't have done some of the things that we did if we weren't chasing another ring, you know? So they were in a mode that they typically are not in, and they wouldn't have extended Alshon Jeffrey, given these other guys these contracts they give. They didn't think they could run it back with that Super Bowl team. So now we've taken that epoch, that era, and we've squarely removed it and put it off to the side, and now we're in a straight-up rebuild transitional phase where the GM is going to be doing things that he was normally doing, you know, pre-Super Bowl. You know, I think it's a different kind of judgment on the last couple of years, and people are upset about that because, like, they reach the top and they show that they're a Super Bowl champion. They're this team, and they couldn't sustain it. You know, they didn't know what to do once they got there. You know, so now we're kind of falling back to a mindset and a strategy of what Howie Roseman was previously. So now you're judging him on something different, but all eyes are on him, you know, because the goal is different. The goal is not going to be to win a Super Bowl. The goal is going to be, can they put a competing roster together again? So it exposes him in a way because now he's front and center. You know, Doug Peterson was the fall guy originally. He's not here anymore. Carson Wentz is not here anymore. Okay, so all the focus is definitely going to be on Howie Roseman. That's just funny to me because I think John can relate to this. But when you're a writer for a while, you become a little bit disconnected and jaded and burned out. It's just easier for you to take a step back. right? We don't look at it in the same way as this like emotional, like, knee-jerk reaction as the fans do but I do I do think they're justified in in feeling let down by this because once you get to the top you want to stay there and they just fell completely down to the bottom so I think we're just able to look at it in a a certain detached and unique way but I don't I don't fault fans at all for feeling the way that they do sure yeah it's a good point Kevin you know you brought up the White House Kurt Buffalo that one is interesting to me (laughs) because I've looked I've looked back at that in hindsight and Doug Peterson was sent out there with no information. He didn't yeah. make any of the decisions. I got in a bit of a public kerfuffle with him behind the scenes. I said, look, I mean, Jeffrey should be talking about this, not you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Especially, they, especially, not, I'm sorry, not to cut you off, but especially yeah. because at the time he was seen as one of the more pragmatic and forward-thinking and kind of progressive, like guys yeah. who under, understood, who was able to speak with some level of eloquence yeah, about yeah. these complicated issues, especially at the time when Malcolm Jenkins was was front and center for a lot of that stuff, too. Yeah. And, you know, my point moving forward is Nick Sirianni is going to be put in these situations. Now, hopefully it's not that bad. But the point is you brought up sort of the we'll, – we'll keep the political bent going here – sort of the shadow organization of Alec Halby talking to – you know, reporting to Jeffrey Lurie. A lot of times the head coach doesn't have information, but he's trotted out there and he's the face of the organization. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sheil and Bo both talked about transparency. Now, transparency outside the organization, I think, is important. It's got to get better. But transparency inside the organization, yes. that is the bigger issue in a, in a whopper yeah. of an issue. Yeah, and I don't think people would – I don't think the average fan would understand this because they don't live in a media world like we do. But just like, for example, you know – 
the 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 coach is generally prepped by the public relations staff before they go out and they do a hit. Okay, but it's not some big meeting where everybody's sitting there saying, "Okay, John McMullen wrote this, Shield Capati wrote this." Like they're aware of what's going on, but sometimes the strategy is not totally cohesive from top to bottom. So the PR staff says, "Here's what people are talking about today. What are you going to say about it?" You know, and then they trot them out there, right? But there's no mm-hmm. like top. Generally, there's no top to bottom kind of thing saying, "Hey, Jeffrey thinks you should say this, and Howie thinks you should say this." So then, when the coach with little information goes out to face the media, it might not necessarily be saying what Howie thinks he should say or what Jeffrey thinks he should say. That's why I wrote in the story that I wrote yesterday. If you find me an organization, a sports franchise, a media outlet, a business in any sector where everybody is 100% on the same page and everybody 100% gets along, you have a unicorn. Like it just, it never happens. You know, now people operate in a very efficient way. Regardless, I was at channel three for many, many years when we had an anchor who punched a cop in the face and then (laughs) just had somebody else who was fired an executive for saying bad things about Yuki Washington, but we still put a good product on TV every night. Jody came and did TV with us on Sunday night. So regardless of all the stuff that's going on in the background, the powers that be kind of are able to, to make it work within that framework. But to your point, John, right, I don't think people realize how how staggered and uh, unstructured it, it, it can be internally. And Kevin, to a lesser extent, that's, I, that's what I constantly said about Carson Wentz. Look, you get yeah, 65 yeah. people together, not everybody's going to like everybody. No, that's no. that's just common sense. No, even like on a daily basis, like, you know, maybe Kyle will say something to me. Do you think this is a story? No, I don't think it's a story. Do you think this is a story? No. But, you know, we, we everybody finds common ground to work with and get it through there. You know, that's why I thought it was interesting with the Carson thing. I thought Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long said it the best. The dude's not a locker room cancer. OK, but we just wanted him to kind of like go to other corners of the locker room and just make more of an effort to understand these guys, you know, so. They went out on the field in 2017. And they played an amazing game, but they weren't all best friends. You know, like that's mm-hmm. natural, natural stuff. I don't, I don't, I think that everybody's of this misnomer of when a team is playing really well. Like everybody's 100% clicking all on the same page, all buying into the same thing because that's a, an ultra rarity in anything. And it's a big roster. That's a lot of people to try and get at yeah. least on some level agreement with, <laughs> and it's virtually impossible, as yeah. you pointed out. And you're right, Channel 3 is actually still broadcasting, despite the fact yeah. that they put me on a bunch of Sunday nights. <laughs> still not sure how that uh, came about. All right, let's get back into the football side of it. Yeah, We are two weeks away from an NFL draft, a key one for the Eagles. They had a very high pick at number six. They've now dropped down to number 12, which is a pretty darn high pick unto itself. Uh, Johnny Mack and I have a disagreement. Let's let you weigh in. I've, I'm going to answer some every guess between the yeah. next, that one and the next two weeks. Well, wait, uh, what, Mack, side, what side are you on? Well, you can <laughs> figure it out for yourself. Um, Johnny <laughs> Mack believes that the Eagles are going to stay to their drafting DNA, their history. When yeah. they're up as high as they are at number 12, first half of the draft in the first round, they keep it inside. They go to the trenches. They don't go to the outsides. They go inside. I think they're going outside. I think it's a foregone conclusion that they're taking either a cornerback or a wide receiver. I think they will not spit in the face of, but break with the trend of what they've done historically, basically because the draft board says they should and the need of the team says that they should. Or are they going to say, no, we'll drop down again and make sure we get the best available player at the position that we have to draft at if we're in the first half? How do you see the Eagles position-wise using their number 12 pick? 
Yeah, you know, originally I didn't like the move because I was sitting there thinking, look, I mean, if you're Howie Roseman and you got a spotty draft history, you know, the severity of moving back from six to 12 makes miss, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a lot easier to miss at 12 than it is at six. Like you could have had one of Chase, Sewell, Pitts there, no problem, if we knew that three quarterbacks were going one through three. But look, I mean, picking up the extra first round pick gives them, <laughs> I'll use Daryl Morey's favorite word, which is not a word, optionality. Right for next year, that if Jalen Hurts is not the guy this year, then you're in position to do something next year. So I think they just did it trying to kick the can down the road, um, looking ahead to seeing what options they had if Jalen Hurts was not going to pan out. But at number 12, I would just sit there and I'd take the best player available. Cornerback, like you know, if Sertain is there at 12, that's what I would do. Um, Micah Parsons, well, I mean, they'll never get a drafted linebacker in the first round anyway, so I don't think that's going to happen. But um, still, the way it's going to play out with the run on quarterbacks going up is that they're probably going to get a top eight player at any other – you know, the rest of the board, top eight non-quarterbacks, they're going to have one of those dudes. So I, I still don't think that Howie can screw it up. I mean, I'm probably going to jinx it, but, you know, I've said a million <laughs> times before, not even Howie Roseman can screw this draft up. But if you end up with the number one cornerback in an extra draft pick next year – I don't know how anybody can be disappointed with that. You know, I mean, you're going to miss out maybe on a generational kind of guy, like a Chase or a Pitts or a Sewell, but they're not one generational guy away. So, uh, you know, I, I, to me, it was more about adding capital and draft stock and giving yourself options in the future. So I don't have any problem with what they did. And speaking about those options of the future, in the future, Kevin, that says something about Jalen Hurts in my mind. This team is building up a big safety net. So, I mean, yeah. they're crossing their fingers because they want that young quarterback on a rookie contract. But the yeah. reality is, you know, Deshaun Watson, who knows what happens there? Maybe yeah. his allegations are cleared up. Russell Wilson, there's thoughts. Aaron Rodgers, it is building right now about him potentially going to Denver. If any of these quarterbacks are available, plus you have all that draft capital and money, to go up at the top 10 of the draft for a rookie quarterback, what does Jalen Hurts have to do? Can Jalen Hurts do anything to seize this position? Go out and play like a superstar. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's going to be no pressure on his shoulders. I mean, he's got Joe Flacco behind him, right? Okay, so they, unless they go out and draft a quarterback, you know, they've eliminated the situation that they created last year. So I got to be honest with you guys, like, and this might sound really stupid, but I'm really excited for this Eagles season. Just for the fact that I don't know what anything is. Just like, the newness I, of it. The newness. Guess, like we, guess, we, we, yeah. we have shed. Yeah. I, you know, I would sit there and write these games on Sundays and I'd be home with my wife. She'd be chasing our two-year-old around and I would be, I'd be miserable. I'd be like, I cannot watch another game of this like slop <laughs> and like Twitter arguing about Carson Wentz. I'd have to hear about Nick Foles again and Doug Peterson and all this stuff. They wiped the slate clean of all of that. So I don't know a damn thing about Nick Sirianni or what Jalen Hurts is going to be. I watched him hang 55 on my team in person. That was the game in Oklahoma where the wagon fell over. I don't know if you guys saw that video, but I saw that in person. <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited because I don't know what any of this is. So I'm going into it with zero expectations, you know? And remember, like 2017, we went in with zero expectations too. And those are, the most, those are the most That's exciting true. years that you can have because you can't, you're not, you can't, when you don't have any expectations, you can't be disappointed. So I don't, I don't, you know, Nick Sirianni may not be that great. Jalen Hurts may not be that great. But right now I'm looking at this team and saying it's the great unknown. And I'm intrigued by that because I don't know what the hell any of these guys are. And I don't know what they're going to do in the draft. So 
it's kind of rejuvenated me. It's like brought back my lifeless like corpse. And now I'm actually interested in like writing, writing about the team again for the, for, for the first time in a while, you know? Okay. Okay. I'm glad it's working for you. And it sounds yeah. like you got a pretty good grasp on things, but Eagle nation on a large scale is not like you. They no. want expectations. Mm. They need expectations. They That's have one expectations. of the problems right yeah. now with Nick Sirianni yeah. in that I don't know that anybody knows enough about him to have expectations. No. They're trying to judge how he handles himself in press conferences, and that is going to decide how good or bad a coach Nick Sirianni is. Of course it's not. It's going to be what he does yeah. on Sunday afternoons, but the people have to have expectations in this town ahead of time. Just sitting back and going, well, we'll get the judge. Mm. That's not Eagle Nation. It I might know, be not... decayed, but it's not Eagle Nation. <laughs> Fans don't handle it that way. I am generally like a lot more blunt and a lot more pragmatic than the than the average Eagles fan. But I, I don't blame them for feeling that way because you're a professional football team. You're supposed to be competitive every year. You're supposed to restock and rebuild. You're not supposed to have transitional transitional years, you know. But um, you know, the, the funny thing about Nick Sirianni is like, listen, okay. Would anybody call Doug Peterson a, a master of the spoken word? Uh, no. No. Okay. So <laughs> his, I have this kind of weird take. I'll try it on you guys and you tell me what you think. Nick Sirianni has this like excitable, dorky football lover kind of thing, right? But I think he does it in a he way. He loves that's, ball, Kevin. He loves, he loves ball. He loves ball. But he does it in a way that I think is kind of endearing. Um, ver- and and I, you hope that energy and enthusiasm kind of rubs off on the team and that energizes them too. The difference between him and a guy like a Joe Judge or a James Franklin is that these guys are like fo- you know real leaders of men, f- football guys too, right? But I feel like sometimes they talk at you or have this delivery where it's like a lecture, like we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Like now we're going to send the tight end over here, right? You know, and these men are going to go out and play hard, right? Like I think they're all football lover kind of guys. But when Nick Sirianni talks, I don't I don't feel like he's talking down to me or talking at me or anything like that. So. My hope is that obviously he'll become a better communicator with experience, but we know that. But that the the infectious energy kind of rubs off on these guys. It energizes these guys, especially in a younger locker room anyway. Like Jason Kelsey might look at Nick Sirianni and say, who the, who the hell is this guy? But, you know, Jalen Hurts and Jalen Rager might say, yeah, let's go. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's the best hope that I can that I can have for him, you know? Well, the guy's got great energy, no question about it. I, yeah. I I think it can go in two ways. I mean, let's be honest, and it all comes down like it always does, winning or losing. If they'll say – if he wins football games, they'll take your tact and say, this guy's great. He's got everybody motivated. They're running through brick walls behind me and Jody. Um, if he loses, then you'll hear, oh, this is – what is he doing? This is high school. This is, These are professionals. Yeah, uh, yeah. That kind of stuff. So yeah. it all comes down, does he produce? And, you know, one thing I will say about this staff, one thing I criticized – I'm a Doug Peterson guy. I like the guy. I mean, who doesn't like him? But I don't think his staff developed young players well mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. This group is very young. Maybe they can connect a little bit better with the Jalen Ragers and the J.J. Ortega white sides of the world. Uh, maybe they can develop. I think we're coming up to the draft. Too many people assume you hand in that card and you get a finished product. It doesn't end there. you got to develop those players. And mm-hmm. I think that's what will define Nick Sirianni. I think so, too. And, I mean, like even you look at the NBA and like what the Sixers have with Paul Reed now. You know, before it was thought that development in the NBA was nothing. And then they started putting more resources and time and effort into the G League. And now you see guys coming through there as well. 
look at the Philadelphia Union bringing a bunch of local kids through the academy. You know, now they're playing on the on the field at 19 years old. I mean, that's going to be important regardless of your of your draft record, too. You know, because even if you have guys who we think are misses, maybe they don't develop on a linear path. And maybe they have two years where they don't get it and then it clicks in year number three, you know. So to me, my biggest concern, if you're talking about the stuff in Jeff's article, Jeff McLean's article, the athletic article or whatever, I don't care about the dysfunction or the lack of communication behind the scenes because that happens everywhere. Um, to me, it's they got to get the draft right. You know, and it's to me, it's Howie being on one page, the scouting staff being on another page and them not being able to kind of put it together. You know, I was doing something on the site yesterday. Somebody on Reddit noted that they haven't drafted a single Alabama player in the Nick Saban era. Yeah. 96, yeah. 96 draft picks that Bama has had. But if you go back over the Eagles last five drafts, their top three picks. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think is the best conference in college football? SEC. SEC. Not a okay. difficult question. They've drafted one SEC yeah, player with their top 12 team. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I watch the Big 12 every week because yeah. my team plays in the Big 12 and it's not a good league. Well, Pac 12. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I, I don't, they can, the GM doesn't have to like the uh, scouting director who doesn't necessarily have to like the Black Ops um, analytics guy. But you know what? If they get it, the draft right, then none of that matters. And well, I was telling Jody, I'll jump in. Sorry, Jody. You know, like, I'm getting wordy. But, you know, to me, the biggest problem with the Eagles is when we're done with this draft, we're going to have a couple Lori picks, a couple Roseman picks, an Alec Calaby pick, and some Andy Weidel picks. They're, they have to be Eagles picks. Yeah. But to me, there's no consensus. No, and that's always the hardest thing for us in the media because, like, how do we parse that? And how do we package it? Because then it's all going to come to, well, how he can't draft. Well, I don't know who the hell he drafted. Yeah. We had this problem, too, when I was covering the union because they'd scout all these different players with four different people. I don't know who scouted him. I know who the GM is, but I don't know which member of the front office went out to England and actually watched that guy play. So that's the, the problem that we have with that. But, I mean, all I can say is that when you went back at the 2017 team and you look at the makeup of, of schools that those guys came from, it was a blend. They had Pac-12 guys on the offensive side, but they had on the defensive end, they had four dudes from Florida State, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Ohio State. Okay, they haven't drafted a single Alabama player in since Saban's been there. They drafted one Ohio State player who was Brian Roll. They drafted one Clemson player who was Kayvon Wallace and – that's it. I mean, they've gone Big 12, five Big 12, five Pac-12 guys, three Big 12 guys, two guys from the Dakotas, and they just sort of are all over the place. You know, I, I, they just, they just got to, like, simplify, simplify it, you know? I, I don't put as much stock into what conference a guy is taken from. I think your Alabama point holds water because they are the best program every single year. How do we not have one guy from that university? But the conference yeah. stuff can be overrated. Patrick Mahomes is the most valuable player in the National Football League. He didn't play in the SEC. And I wasn't so. even that impressed with him when I watched him play at Texas Tech, which is no, most nobody, ironic. So I, yeah, I yeah. thought his mechanics were terrible. I get – I get freezing cold <laughs> taked on that every year. Yeah, we were playing at West Virginia. We played this like weird three three five stack, right, where you have like a banded safety or like a spur safety. So, you know, you bring that guy down on the line, and that's how you get four players down on the line. But we played this stupid like three three five web where we just dropped eight into coverage, and Patrick Mahomes looked like he didn't know what he was doing. And then three years later, he's winning the Super Bowl. So I, you're right, Jody, in a way that it's like – some of that stuff doesn't matter if you have generational talent, but I think for college football people like me, we just get obsessed with the, like my conference is better than your conference kind of thing, you know? 
Well, I think it, I also think it worked in reverse with Patrick Mahomes. People assumed he was always that good. Andy Reid has a lot to do with that as well. Player development, being right system, right scheme. I mean, phenomenal talent, but I don't think it would have worked the same with Adam Gase, for instance. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I mean, look, is Jalen Rager different with Nick Sirianni? You know what I mean? Like looking at a little bit of the Colts offense, they did a good job of kind of getting guys in space, you know, use their tight ends a little bit more, uh, you know, misdirection and kind of just looking at maximizing skill players and letting them do their thing. So I don't, you know, they change the scenery. I mean, maybe that's it. Um, it's just hard. I, you know, I remember going back to the days of the old Big East when we were raided by the ACC. Yeah, and we were fighting for our lives. We were saying Louisville's good and West Virginia's good and and whatever, you know. So I think that kind of bleeds out a little bit when you look at who the Eagles have drafted over the years. And you say, look, common not knowledge would say if the SEC is damn good, just take SEC players. And if the Big Big Ten's good, <laughs> then take those players. And Miles Sanders is the only Big Ten guy that they've drafted over the, over the last five years too. So go figure, you know, in the top in the top three picks. KK, a recurring question here on Birds Three Sixty Five, and it will be until a resolution is decided. Zach Ertz is still a Philadelphia Eagle, even though certain quarters have had him traded any minute now for weeks, if not months. He's still on the Eagles. We understand the situation and that he could be used on draft day to move up and around. Could have to wait till after the draft because if the Eagles actually want a draft pick of any import, they're going to have to wait till 2022. He's not happy here. He's outspoken about it, but Howie Roseman hasn't pulled the trigger on him. His lead wide interest is what it is. Is there any way that these two sides can kiss and make up with a new head coach in place who Zach Ertz shouldn't be mad at? We know he can be mad at the organization. He can't be mad at the new head coach. Is there a chance that Zach Ertz is back with the Eagles in 2021? I mean, if it is, it's it's under the it's with the understanding that like, hey, you know, you're playing with a young quarterback. We're kind of turning the corner here. You know, maybe you don't necessarily have a future beyond this year, but we'd like you to be a part of this transition re- rebuilding year and help us move it forward. How much time does Jason Kelsey have left? You know, not a ton. He's talked openly about retirement, but you know, I think the misnomer here is that you go into these rebuilding phases with a bunch of 22 year olds. You know, Jalen Hurts is going to get killed if he doesn't have anybody good to throw to or anybody, any veterans on the offensive line blocking for him. So there's value in if you can't get anything for Hurts, if you can't get what you want for him, there's really no harm in bringing him back and letting Jalen Hurts throw him the ball because you can't evaluate a guy if he's throwing to a bunch of nobodies, you know, or if you have a first year center in there. So, I mean, if, if that's the, the, the glass half empty take or that's a worst case scenario kind of take. It's not the worst thing in the world. This is not like the process Sixers where you just roll out 10 dudes who are on 10-day contracts and go out and lose by 30 points. You can't get a real evaluation of what Jalen Hurts is if he doesn't have something to work with. So, I mean, if Zach Hurts came back and they didn't get anything for him, whatever. But, I mean, that's that's my way of looking at it in a, in a positive way, I guess. All right, Kevin, we probably kept you too long. So no, it's all right. Go, go be a dad. Go be a content machine. But real quick, what do I expect out of the, the Philadelphia Union this year? Give me a little union. Well, they just won 4 nothing in the Champions League last night, which was insane to me. You know, they are not your grandmother's Philadelphia Union, who five years ago didn't even have a practice facility. But I would say to people who aren't really into soccer, who don't watch the team, they're easy to appreciate because they have a lot of local kids who play for them. They come through the academy and King of Prussia. Um, they are from this region. They're our kind of guys, and they play well. And they just play a really blue-collar, collective team defense kind of game. They work hard. 
what other cliches can I give you? The lunch, they carry the lunch pail, <laughs> you know, they've, they got the hard hat or whatever, but truly they, they play like that. And if, if you're not a soccer fan, you could probably at least um, appreciate the, the hard nose way they, they play the game, but they, they're really fun to watch after years of being uh, not very good. So they, they've turned a corner in a hard way. He covers it all. He writes about it all on crossingbroad.com. KK, Kevin Kincaid, thank you for hopping on Birds 365. We'll get you back up again soon enough. Anytime, guys. Just let me know, all right? Kevin Thanks, Kincaid sir. here with us on Birds 365. All right, quick time out, come back. Um, yes, we've got plenty of Eagles to talk about, but a little pushback back and forth between the NFLPA and the league itself. Uh, there, there's going to be some issues before we get this season underway. The draft is upcoming, but off-season workouts are supposedly upcoming. Uh, maybe not. We'll talk about it with uh, John McMullen and Jody McDonald right here on Birds 365 next. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have little Harry or little maze. Little maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string maze. and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, <laughs> you don't even need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Bird 365 here with you on the Jacob Media Network and also the ability to link in on phillyvoice.com. John McMullen, Jody McDonald hanging with you, talking all things ball, as the Eagle coach likes to call it. 
See, I grew up, I was a basketball player. Johnny Mac, <laughs> were you a football player growing up? Uh, yeah, I well, I was basketball and football. People okay. can guess football because, you know, I'm overweight. But basketball, when yeah, it good was under, size I, I was not always overweight, yeah. Uh, see, I was a basketball player, even though my father was uh, in professional baseball. I played baseball, but I played basketball better. So when you play in ball, it was basketball. I never thought of football as ball. Oh, it's ball, Cody. Let's okay. play ball. Let's if, talk ball more than if, that. If Nick Sirianni says so. Uh, speaking of ball, the Eagles want to ball out during this offseason with offseason workouts. Every team should. And I, I hope every team does. But there are going to be some issues with it as we get within two weeks of the draft. Shortly thereafter, all off-season workouts and programs will get underway. And the NFLPA, Football's Players Association, and the league itself over the last 24, 48 hours have been a series of dueling press statements and or leaks about the possibility of not having off-season workouts. The NFLPA wants everything to be done virtually until training camp opens up. The NFL came out with some pretty good statements the last couple of days of, yeah, but this is a game in which we're going to play on the field and we feel we need to prepare on the field. So let us recall these certain things that need to get established and done before the season starts. Uh, you and I kind of touched on this yesterday. Uh, two more teams were added to the mix who come out with statements as teams saying that they're not planning on showing up for uh, optional workouts this upcoming offseason. Uh, it hasn't come to loggerheads just yet, but both sides are kind of stating their position as of right now, John, and they're surely not on the same page. No, and, you know, in a lot of ways, I consider this to be sort of the old political uh, adage is never let a crisis go to waste. Um, so we just finished up a CBA. So in essence, that's legislation of football. And off-season work is built into the CBA. The Players Association sees an opportunity due to the pandemic to scale back that off-season work without bargaining over it. And that's what they're trying to do right now. It's about quality of life. And by the way, I don't disagree with them. I'm just, you know, people assume I'm on the owner's side. It has nothing to do with that. I'm just trying to explain what is going on. Um, the pandemic and, and, and COVID-19 has put an idea into J.C. Treader's head and D. Smith's head. They're essentially leading the Players Association. And they're saying, look, everything worked out fine last year. Let's do voluntary work. In the same way, the league, when it comes to media, for instance, they're trying to do the same thing. They don't want us back in buildings. They're saying, let's do press conferences virtually. It worked. It's the same thing, just over a different um, type, of, of type of process. But there's a lot of unintended consequences, which I mentioned a little bit yesterday, Jody, and one of them is injuries, and the NFL brought that up and made it very clear to the players. Look, if you get hurt on site at a facility, your contract is covered. If you get hurt in your training facility, wherever that might be, guess what? That's a non-football injury, and we don't have to pay you. Um, 
So this is kind of the wrangling going back and forth. There's no doubt coaches want players in. They want to get players ready, especially when you're a first-time coach like Nick Sirianni. You're, you're putting in new schemes, new system, new culture. Everything's new. You want the guys around. The players, especially the veteran players, who don't need off-season work, and I say it all the time, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, they don't need off-season work. They're not. They, they don't. The young players, they need it, though. They really need it. We just talked with Kevin Kincaid about player development a lot. That's where player development starts. It really does. Agreed. And here's where I think it's being overstated. We had Kevin on because he said, we're overreacting to the dysfunction of the Eagles. Been there, done that, scaled that mountain, went to a Super Bowl, despite the fact that they were only two years removed from being in complete Chip Kelly dysfunction. He made some really good points. Same thing here about the workouts in the National Football League during the offseason. Some people are making a big deal out of it. The truth is we're only talking about one phase of a three-phase offseason. The NFL, in putting forth their points uh, yesterday, said, well, phase one, first couple of weeks, going to be all virtual anyway. We're perfectly fine with that. That's what it was last year. We're good with that again this <laughs> year. Then phase two, it's just going to be one week, and yeah, that one can be virtual. But phase three, when we actually have rookie mini camps and people starting to show up before, we need that to be hands-on. We need that to be at a location. If you're not going to be showing up for that, and oh, by the way, you've got clauses in your contract for workout bonuses, oh, yes, the team can yeah. say you didn't achieve your workout bonus and could cost certain guys tens of thousands of dollars, others hundreds of thousands of dollars. I thought that was a very poignant, pointed shot that the NFL put out in their press release that, yeah, bonus money is at stake here if you don't show up, basically for phase three, not phase one or phase two. The NFL has already uh, yeah. come to the understanding they're going to lose if they get too pushy with this. They're making it all about the two-week period right before the opening up of training camp, and I think they've got a leg to stand on here. I'm all for uh, protection of the players. I don't think we've beaten back the curb, but they've got their protocols in place. They can do it safely. They're going to have to do it safely as soon as camp opens up, so two weeks before that, what, they're going to forget how to be safe and then all of a sudden remember how to be safe when camp opens up and you really do have to start preparing and get ready for the all-important three preseason games? Of course not. I, I Yeah, I am absolutely taking a side here, and I'm on the side of the owners because they've already given in a little. They've given up phase one and phase two and said, yes, we'll make do with virtual they're just saying we can't just have everybody show up the day before camp and think we're going to be able to hit camp running without as much prep time as we're used to in the NFL. Well, and that's sort of the give and take we're talking about. You're right, Jody. The players have already won something, and the NFL has kind of backed off uh, the, the original plan and said, okay, let's scale it back, and that's what we're hoping for. That's what the league wants, a little bit of give and take. Okay, we'll say – Virtual to start, but we need at least a little work, uh, especially with the younger players. And always I thought that would be the end game. But I will say from the league's perspective, and I could talk about this because I was tier two media last year. So I had to go through what the players did. I had to get tested every single day. 
not not only when there was practice, off days, every single day, I had to go into the Novacare complex and get tested. Trust me, I was safer there than anywhere else I went. So they have a point. Like and 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 from the players' perspective, they have a point when I talk about look, we don't want to be there. We we want to be home. We want to enjoy our off time. But that's what it's about from the players' perspective. It's not about safety because there's no way they're going to be safer wherever they're going to be working out than they would be in an NFL facility that has all the money to implement all these protocols. Let me ask you this, and this is purely an opinion question uh, that you could or may not have a strong enough opinion on. Um, You've been covering teams for a long time, been around enough that I would think that you would. There's a potential divisiveness between players on a team. There are certainly uh, potential divisiveness from team to team. Number one, they're all supposed to beat each other's head in and beat them during the regular season and win divisions and championships and everything else. So that's well understood. But if in their own locker room, certain guys are willing to work, want to work, want to be there every day, want to be able to show they belong, depending on their status on the roster. And others are, as you just suggested, as worried about just being home with their family, using this as kind of a loophole to get out of spending as much time working as hard to prep for an upcoming season. How tough is that for a coaching staff to be able to stay on top of, to make sure that the guys who are going to the nth degree to prep and be ready and put themselves in, at least supposedly, uh, a more dangerous position by gathering in groups as compared to the guys who go, no, 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 wait a minute. I know what I need to prep. I'll prep myself. I'll be perfectly fine. Can there be angst between teammates with different agendas getting ready for an upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's about class, and I said it all the time, and the fact that, and what I mean by class is you have the stars, and the stars are going to be stars, and they can do whatever they want. They can um, make it voluntary and say, you know what, I don't feel safe, I'm going to stay home, and it's not going to affect them whatsoever. But if you're Michael Jaquette and you're a young player uh, second year, trying to make a push to get playing time, trying to make the roster before even you make the push to get a playing time. You probably want to be here and you want to be working and you don't have the power to go up against your union and say, um, no, I'm going to show up. I'm going to work. I'm going to show this new coaching staff that you can count on me. Um, I feel bad for players like that because they probably don't have the power to do that. And unfortunately, I don't know how to fix that, to be honest. I I really don't. So this is – and that's been one of the major criticisms of the NFLPA for years and years and years. Everything they want is about the stars and not sort of the rank and file, just the, the, the mediocre players. I don't even want to call them mediocre because if you make the NFL, you're a heck of a player, you're a heck of an athlete. But you get my point, Jody. There's – different levels and the guy who's third string well he he's hurt by this bottom line and they've got to make decisions for themselves whether they're going to show up or not again five teams i should say four and a half 
because ex-Temple guy, Brandon McManus, the player rep for the Broncos, did say yesterday that despite the fact they had already come out and said they're planning on not showing up for any of the voluntary meetings, said, well, we may rethink it because the NFL did say some things that we liked. In other words, uh, phase one. And that's that's where we are. We're getting that give and take. And they're negotiating back and forth and saying, we'll give up this if you give us this. And hopefully – we get to a point where there's at least many camps and at least another week where the, the younger players, the rookie players and the first year players, I think that's where the NFL is trying to get through, and get to. It's a collective bargaining agreement within a collective bargaining agreement to have to try and figure out what does and doesn't work. All right. A um, couple other around the league things. A guy who just 12 months ago people were lobbying for to land here in Philadelphia, he of course did not, has now landed in Cleveland. Jadavian Clowney, who was number one overall draft pick out of Houston, will forever be persona non grata here in Philadelphia for some. Because Unless they his- signed him. <laughs> right. That, that can change rather quickly. Uh, but he was the guy who uh, cheap-shotted Carson Wentz in a playoff game couple of years ago caused Carson to go out and uh, be concussed. The reason why I thought that Carson Wentz was as bad as he was last year, that it was lingering concussion. Wow. Oh, nobody really knows whether that's the case or not. It was, I think, probably an optimistic spin, an eagle-colored glasses look from yours truly, hoping that that's what it was, not that Carson Wentz just had fallen apart. You kind of convinced me it was that Jalen Hurts got inside his head. We'll never know for sure. Well, I can tell you, I can only, I mean, Carson has told me that his concussion had nothing to do with anything. Uh, The medical staff has said it had nothing to do with anything. So you can only take him at the word, at their word. I mean, if he tells me he's not having effects from that concussion, and by the way, he said it was really scary at the time and it took him a little bit, but by the time he was back, he said it was completely fine. No issues whatsoever. So I got to take him at his word because you could use that as an excuse. No question. Yeah, I was admittedly optimistic at being optimistic about concussions. There's an oxymoron if we've ever had one. I was kind of hoping that was the case as to why Carson was struggling. Anyway, Jadavion Cloudy on the open market last year, people, some people lobbying to put him in Eagle Green didn't happen. On the open market again this year, Johnny Mac, you keep telling me the Eagles could go with a defensive lineman with the first pick that they have in this year's upcoming draft. There was one available who at times has flashed the ability to uh, be a disruptor in the other team's backfield and to be able to get to the quarterback and register sacks. Not so much last year on a free agent year, which was pretty damn disappointing, uh, but a guy who was going to be forced to take a one-year deal, he did with the Cleveland Browns. As far as I know, and you're the kind of guy who would report on this stuff, Eagles not really a player at all in the Jadavian Clowney market. Was it just too expensive? Were they uh, uncapabilitable, uh, able to be able to get involved in something like that? Why was there no talk about Jadavian Clowney uh, joining the Eagles? Yeah, number one, he was still too expensive. I mean, that's where it starts, even though it was a one-year deal. Where the Eagles are in the salary cap, they're just not in those types of conversations. Plus, it's also age as well, Um, injury history. And the fact he hasn't produced, I mean, the big name, uh, 
you know, people criticize Brandon Graham for not getting to the quarterback, not getting sacks. Nine and a half is his career high. Jadavion Clowney's career high is nine and nine and a half sacks. Right. So, um, you know, but people remember, what do they remember, Jody? Number one overall pick. They still think he's the superstar he was in college. It's actually been a little bit of a disappointment. Good player. I mean, from just a pure football perspective, you would make this team better. But, yeah, just too expensive and a lot of other issues. And they want to get younger. They don't want to bring in uh, aging players with, with injury history. That's not the road they want to go down. It's not time where the championship window was open. Maybe you bring in a player like that. Now that it's not, you, you want to get younger. I don't disagree with that, and that's why I think the Eagles were never really in the conversation. Um, another NFL player who keeps making news and not good news, and he's not doing it, but it's news around him, is Deshaun Watson. There was a, an additional person to come forward and join the lawsuit against Deshaun Watson, one that dropped out because they didn't like the fact that their name was going to be made public. So it's 22 and holding against the John Watson uh, for uh, sexual assault suits in the Houston area. And shame on me. I should have drawn this conclusion earlier. I, I'm trying to stay very open-minded and objective about it. Innocent till proven guilty. All those things with the ongoing issues they're dealing with down in Houston. But I don't know why it clicked in for me yesterday, but it did. 22 different masseuses have come forward. 23, actually, because one has dropped off and one has been added with questions about behavior with Deshaun Watson. Why has he seen 23 different masseuses? Did he not find one in all these years that mm -hmm. he's been going to these masseuses? He couldn't find one that could get the job done that he could stick with? that he's continually changing. I know, by the way, he hasn't been in Houston for 10 years. It's only been a couple of years. This guy is a serial masseusist, if that's a word. I love making Serial masseusist, I like it. Though. Yes, when, I, when you I, need I, a I word, like you make it. Up. But you well, get you what I'm trying to you say. You weren't listening to me on the Jacob Media YouTube page, Jody, because I said that day one. I said, who has to And by the way, Rusty Harden, Deshaun Watson's lawyer, came out with 18 more masseuses who said that Deshaun Watson went to them for their services and nothing bad happened. So we're up to 40-plus masseuses. You want to talk I about I didn't it. know they had 40 masseuses in the greater Houston area. Serial How masseuses. How did this guy find them all? Well, I think he had them all over the country. So that was part of it. So he's getting recommendations from Robert Kraft. I'm working out that for my, my spot at the comedy store <laughs> later. Very nice. Um, uh, yeah, I, it's an issue. And since, since it, you know, there's developments almost every day <clears throat> and Rusty Harden has come out and said there was consensual activity. Um, look, he made mistakes, no question about it. And it is a murky situation. And one of the reasons why, despite all the whispers and there's smoke, there's not fire, Jody, but there's smoke. The Eagles are keeping an eye on Deshaun Watson. I, right. I mean, they're hoping that things work out in a positive uh, way for him. Maybe it's a six-game suspension. Uh, 
you look at Ezekiel Elliott as perhaps the precedent for that, uh, and then he can move on for his career. Hopefully you learn something uh, from what has gone on, and you have a superstar player early in his career. Um, but they're certainly keeping an eye on it. you got to be honest about that. Eagles are, other teams are, and of course the NFL is, which – they were in a tough spot. This is one of those where Roger Goodell can't win for losing. Um, if he doesn't act quickly, then teams are going to be perturbed and, and Watson is going to be perturbed. Uh, at least he could potentially be perturbed if the NFL doesn't come down harshly on him because it's hanging over his head. If he acts quickly and he rushes to judgment, then people are going to get all over his case. Can't win. If, can't if he win. slows the process down and says – well, we know there are civil suits. There are potential legal suits, uh, charges that could be coming for Deshaun Watson. We don't want to act till after they act, because if they go lenient and then the law and or the courts come down harshly against him, he's going to look like he uh, soft paddled mm -hmm. it for Deshaun Watson. He can't win for losing. No. But doing no. nothing and saying nothing just means that they look like they're trying to sweep it under the carpet. How should the NFL proceed with this from time to time? Should they just come out and say, we're continuing to investigate, wink, wink, nod, nod. How should the NFL handle this uh, to do its best for themselves, of course, but also one of theirs, Deshaun Watson, a star player, who they have to, at some point, uh, worry about what his what kind of hits his image is taking? Uh, it's an uphill battle. I said yesterday on the show, it's easier to lie. It's hard to educate. I'm not saying the NFL is lying, but uh, they do a really job, a really poor job of educating people on the CBA. They have, they, you know, the players union is fighting for the players. They have a CBA. They can't just bar somebody from playing football. There is legal ramifications. You just can't suspend somebody because somebody on Twitter thinks they're horrible people. Uh, there is a lot of legal loopholes they have to go through. But one of the things I think the NFL made a huge mistake on is getting into the investigation business on their own, having these parallel investigations. I would simply advocate, look, I would go out and say this is a legal matter. We have to let the legal process play out. Once it does, uh, then you make your decision as far as football, which is far less important uh, than those bigger issues. That's the way I would go with the NFL. The NFL is open to Pandora's box with these parallel investigations. I don't agree with them, but that's where they are. And they've created problems that shouldn't exist. But that toothpaste is out of the tube, Jody. I mean, there's no way to get it back. Right. And I'm actually okay with their investigations. I guess I do disagree with you a little bit. They can't. The easiest way, the courts of least resistance is, yeah, we'll judge after the court judges. But sometimes these court cases can drag on and on and on and on. But that's because and they're difficult issues. They're not cut and dry issues. I mean, and, and why would you say, Jody, I'll ask you, why would you say the NFL has the expertise to do investigate criminal investigations uh, better than the actual authorities. Well, I not, think it's ludicrous. Not, well, not better, but quicker. They could be quicker about it because that's all they have on their plate. 
uh, depending on where <laughs> a person gets in trouble, the city of Houston, uh, the police department. Well, that's there. A They've got point. a whole bunch of yeah. issues. Yeah. The NFL's got two or three guys that have major off-field issues, and they can hire. Oh, by the way, they've got better funding for themselves than the city of Houston has for its police force, so they can dedicate whatever resources necessary to be able to do these investigations. No, it's it's about being able to do it in a fair and just and rapid time. Well, I would rather. say, you know, I'm, I'm glad you put fair and just on there because quick and rapid often means sloppy. True. And that's not necessarily fair. And that's where I bring up the players union. Remember, the players union is fighting for the rights of these guys as well. So it's not just a work and decree. They've been fighting for years and years and years to get a little bit more power. You know, Roger Goodell has been the judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. It's been scaled back a little bit now. We have this uh, sort of panel that looks at his decisions and kind of rubber stamps them. We've had, you know, Barbara Jones in the past, ar arbitrators, uh, arbiters. Uh, you know, it. these are difficult issues, and I think people uh, automatically assume, oh, Deshaun Watson did something bad, suspend him. You can't just do that. Can't do it. True. There are CBA issues. They have negotiated this before. It has to come down in a specific pattern and, and, and formation. But the NFL can move the process along. Oftentimes it is a judgment call where they're trying to do what's best by uh, as many different parties. The player, the team, the league, the perception. There are a lot of things that go into the way that the NFL handles this in their own investigation but I do like the fact that they are doing it in their own investigation. I don't think they can just wait. They've done that several times. They've tried to wait for the court cases. And then you've got a guy out there who's got a whole bunch of charges against him playing on a weekend, week out basis for a team. There's uproar on the team because the guy is actually playing. I think the NFL needed to put its foot in the dirt and say, no, we're going to, when we feel it's necessary, necessary we're going to get involved we're going to do our own investigations and sometimes we're going to come out with a stance even before it's decided in the courts yeah now i i think it's a fair point and i think they're very difficult issues and and that's kind of where i'm going in the fact that the nfl needs to do a better job of educating their fans to the to the to the reasons why these things take a bit take a little bit longer than people might hope and when it's really serious allegations, and let's be honest, it doesn't get more serious than sexual assault. Um, you got powerful lawyers like Rusty Harden involved as well. I mean, people remember him back from the days of Roger Clemens. I mean, this is the guy in Houston. All these people are fighting on the other side as well. And guess what? If the NFL overreaches, well, Rusty Harden's going to get involved not only in the criminal part of this, not only in the civil part of this, but also to the football part of it and the NFL's uh, behavior, whether, whether it's a potential suspension or something of that nature. All right. Uh, last thing, we're hoping to be joined by Ron Jaworski. Jaws going to jump aboard with us coming up in just a couple of minutes here on Birds 365. But one last Sean Watson question for you. And again, let me preface this by saying this is hypothetical. 
I'm not going to play judge or jury here on Birds 365 about Deshaun Watson. I'm saying this is a hypothetical question. Let's say where there's smoke, there's fire, and that there are settlements and or there are uh, they've already finding, tried to settle, so there's going to be settlements. Right. Finding of guilt, whatever else it is, suspension included, uh, could be as much as a year, could be a handful of games, could be time on the commissioner's exemption list. That will play itself out over time. We'll find out what that number is. It certainly would affect the way teams who would have interest in, in bringing him on if he's leaving Houston into the mix. But to say hypothetically, there's a suspension involved, but it's not an entire year. There's some finding of guilt, but it's not something that would send him to jail. It would allow him to continue to play football. How will Eagle Nation handle Deshaun Watson? We know how talented a player he is, but he comes in here with massive amounts of baggage. Michael Vick did that one time here in this town, and I think he won over the town because he showed remorse and he did what he was supposed to do by working with the ASPCA and the like. Can Deshaun Watson come in and become a popular Philadelphia Eagle within the first year if they were to acquire him? Like, like that, Jody. Like that. He's so good on the football field. I mean, there's always going to be a minority and I think you'll see some picketing. I think you'll see some criticism. Um, but as far as the vast majority of fans, man, they see that first four touchdown game, all is forgotten. I'm not saying it's right, but right. that's just what's going to happen. Uh, and, I mean, he's too good. And I'm on record. I was not happy when Michael Vick signed with the Eagles. I was very much for Michael Vick getting a second chance. I believe in second chances. He did his time for his crime. He actually went to jail. I just didn't want him coming to a team that I had to cover on a day-in, day-out basis. Uh, let it be someone else's team for Michael to join. And he was a pretty solid citizen while he was here. Played some decent football for them, and he didn't get himself in trouble. So we'll find out if uh, that's the way things play going for Deshaun Watson. But I will tell you right now, I think it's highly unlikely he ever plays another game with the Houston Texans. I would be very surprised if that were the case. We'll find out if he lands in Philadelphia or anywhere else. All right, uh, we'll take a quickie timeout. Ron Jaworski, ex-Eagle quarterback, all-around Eagle fan favorite, will join us next. Uh, we'll talk to Jaws for a couple of minutes here on Birds 365. Stick around. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. 
Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a Lil anything. You'd have Lil Harry or Lil Mays. Lil Mays. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. <laughs> Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even God. need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. It is Birds 365. John McMullen, Jody McConnell, Mackamack guys here with you where we talk football on a daily basis, mostly Philadelphia Eagles, but we'll go all around the uh, National Football League when necessary. We're going to do that with our next guest. I see his name up there. I don't see his picture up there. Is Ron Jaworski ready to join us here on Birds 365? Jody, how are you, my friend? Good there he is. Good to I be hear, with you guys. I hear the voice. How are you, Jaws? You know, we got way too much technology in our lives right now. I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. At least we have audio. I'm working on video. <laughs> gotcha. I uh, appreciate appreciate you joining the show, Jaws. It, the more important part, I think, is that nobody knows more about playing the quarterback position in Philadelphia than you. Also, you know, you think about your transition from player getting into the media industry you know, your your bell cow was sort of breaking down uh, the fundamentals, the mechanics at the quarterback position. So I do want to ask you about Carson Wentz. To me, as a, as a layman, been covering the league for a long time, I, I saw regression in mechanics uh, from John DiFilippo when he left to where we got to last season. Is that is that fair to say when you broke down the film? Yes, uh, of Carson. Absolutely, John. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, you already mentioned, you know, my role at ESPN for 28 years was basically the film wonk. You know, uh, I still maintain my office at NFL Films, uh, study all the tape, you know, get it. Now I get it at home because of the technology that we now have. Um, two hours after the game, I've got the game tape. So I, I've always prided myself in letting the tape tell me how the quarterback is playing. You know, it, 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 you know I, I played in the league for 17 years. Studied tape for 29 years. So there's a pretty good background of what's good and what's bad. And, and, and your quick assessment of, of Carson was, was spot on. Here's a young man with incredible talent. I, I, you know, I, he's going to go to, he's probably going to win a Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts. He's, he's that talented of a player. But that being said, if you're not mechanically and fundamentally sound at the position, you're going to have bad streaks. And he got into a horrible streak last year. And, and, and kind of the, what, precipitated I thought the run of bad play was the opening game against Washington uh, and I always try to give guys a little bit of a pass because it was a crazy pandemic year and no offseason no working out with your 
fellow wide receivers, no training camp, no mini camp, no preseason games, and all of a sudden opening day. Uh, so I, I was at that point, I was giving him a little bit of a pass for the erratic throws that he made. But the one before the half in that game was just a, a rookie throw. It was an out route to his left. The ball's got to be low and away to the outside, uh, you know, and it was thrown inside. So when I watched the play on TV, it, it was obvious it was a bad throw. But when I got the tape, uh, I could finally look. I'm, I'm going to isolate on one play. There were many, many more, but this was kind of the one to me that, that tipped it off. Uh, mechanics were awful. He had, he had a closed lead step, you know, and it forced him to come across his body. And when you come across your body, you're throwing a slider like a pitcher, you know. I mean, if the ball's not going to go straight, it's going to tail back to the inside. And it was an easy interception before the half. And to me, that turned the game around in that game. The Eagles holding a 17-0 lead. It may have turned their season around. But to me, bad decision, but more importantly, bad mechanics. And that's when it took off. Right after week one, he was never consistent with his mechanics. George, if you could see a breakdown in Carson Wentz's mechanics, if Johnny Mack could see a breakdown yeah. in Carson's mechanics, how did the Eagles coaching staff not see the breakdown in Carson's mechanics? I'm sure they did, but they couldn't get it corrected. Why not? Yeah, there, there's no doubt. They saw it. There was a, it's a solid coaching staff. Doug Peterson knows the quarterback position. He played it in the National Football League. He's worked with some of the best quarterbacks of all time. He knew there were mechanical issues. But what was clear to me, that you know, they, they couldn't correct them. Um, hey, by the way, he made a lot of great throws last year as well. The interceptions absolutely crushed him. But but the, the thing that happened is when you as a quarterback, and I've been there, guys, you know, hey, I you know, I threw like 160 interceptions in my career. So I, I know what some poor throws are along the way. But it becomes mental. And there is no doubt in my mind it became mental as the season wore on. Play design, play call was spot on. Receivers were open. He wasn't pulling the trigger. And, and I'm, I'm looking at the tape, and I'm going, throw it, throw it, throw it. You know, the guy's open. I, I'm looking. I see him with play design. Receiver's open. He wasn't throwing the football. So it, it it just snowballed and became mental as well as physical and mechanical. Charles, how much of an effect do you think that the pandemic had as far as no offseason work? So when you're working on those mechanics, you know, Jim Schwartz used to tell me the offseason is for teaching. And when you get into training camp, it's evaluation. Obviously, regular season is game prep. So a lot of your fundamental, a lot of your mechanical work happens in the off season, which has already been scaled back. Then it becomes all virtual. Is that, do you think that maybe it sped up the slide a little bit? Oh, John, right, right on point. In fact, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time talking to coaches uh, and there was no doubt they were all very upset with the way things went last year. And not, not anyone specific, but it was a pandemic. You know, all the decisions were made for the right reasons. But the coaches could not coach. They were locked in their office for 12 hours with the door closed. No, only communication was, was the Zoom. And it really wasn't until after the season when, it, when I started talking to a lot of coaches about their season and why it was so poor, whatever, not only in Philly, but other coaches around the league. It was impossible to work with the players on the field. and It was shut down. And I look at it from my personal perspective. Uh, just just amazing the improvement I made with my receivers, Mike Quick, Harold Carmichael, Charlie Smith, Keith Krepley, John Spagnuolo, in the offseason. And actually one season, Gordon Forbes charted. Remember Gordon Forbes, the old 
writer, yeah, and yeah. Sure. tremendous, tremendous man, uh, just a great reporter. Uh, he, he came as close as he could to charting how many throws I made in the offseason and regular season, and it was about 35,000 throws. And the majority of those were in the offseason, working every single day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at Veterans Stadium on that field, getting those indicators that are so important for a quarterback, getting all the receivers on the same page. You know, give me that shoulder roll. Give me that stick to the inside so I could read it and I can anticipate the throw. And there's no pressure at that time. You're not worried about a game. You're not worried about design of the offense. It's individual. Harold Carmichael, congratulations, Hall of Fame wide receiver. Harold and I worked in the offseason so often, three days a week. When he put that foot in the ground to the inside, I knew he was going out. That ball was in the air. If he stuck that outside foot in the post, he gave me that hint, that indicator, when to throw the football. A lot of that happened in the offseason. So you take that all away, you're starting from scratch. George, uh, let me get your film work, a.k.a. scouting eye, on the Eagles' new starting quarterback. We asked you about the old starting quarterback. Good luck to him in Indianapolis. The new starting quarterback is Jalen Hurts. We got a pretty good look at him for a rookie drafted in the second round to come in and get uh, as much work as he did. It's a nice basis to start your evaluation on, but it is another make-good year for Jalen Hurts. From what you saw last year, during the games, what you've heard around, the Eagles are making a commitment to him as their starting quarterback this year. What does Jalen Hurts have to achieve this year to make sure he's the Eagles' starting quarterback for years to come? Is he capable of doing that? Yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's an incomplete right now, Jody. You know, we, we haven't seen enough to say, oh, yeah, he's the guy. You know, it, 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 you know, it takes time to develop in this league. It, it, it's crystal clear if you look at the physical talents of Jalen Hurts. He has NFL talent. Uh, you know, I, I spoke to a lot of coaches, I said earlier, about Jalen Hurts, and he is a football wonk. He loves football. You know, he's he studies the game. He asks a lot of questions in the meeting. The players matriculate to him. They like him. You know, he's he's got a, an effervescence for the game. You watch him on the field, a calmness, but you can tell the passion that he has. He has those intangibles as well. What he lacks is experience. And, and, and we saw when he first came in, and, and this is where I, I sometimes have a problem in quarterback evaluation uh, by not, not saying I'm right or wrong, but we evaluate quarterbacks on ability to make plays with their legs. And everyone gets excited when a young quarterback comes on the field and he runs for a first down. And remember, I, I was with a guy, Randall Cunningham, for a couple of years. You know, <laughs> I know about a guy that can break the pocket and make, you know, exciting plays. And Jalen Hurts can do that. But as we saw after a couple games, defense is now locked in on him. The mush rush came into play. They didn't give him those lanes to run from. They didn't allow him to boot to the outside. Those things he had success with for a couple games all of a sudden were taken away, and he had to play quarterback from the pocket. In other words, read coverage, anticipate throws, all those things that add to longevity at the quarterback position, he struggled with. So he started out really, really good. He struggled late. And so that's why I give the the great and incomplete. We need to see more of them. Uh, two things, Jaws. I because I asked you about Carson's mechanics. Where is Jalen as far as that part of his game, and then the leadership part of it? I mean, you know, people gravitate to you. You're still talking about your guys. That's part of it. Harold going into the Hall of Fame. You mentioned all the great receivers you played for. To me. What I've seen about Jalen Hurts is people naturally gravitate towards him. He's a natural leader. He's an extrovert, at least in the locker room. He might not seem that way uh, 
on the podium. How important is that to, to seizing that job as a quarterback one in this league? John, leadership is absolutely, you know, in, incredibly important. And, and, you know, when you walk in that huddle, you got 20 eyeballs looking at you. And, and, and those guys want to see how you're going to respond to every situation. And, and you begin that by winning guys over in the locker room after practice. You know, those bonding things that a quarterback has to do, you know, w- with every single player on the team. You know, I, and I, I, I gave you a real-life example because, you know, a lot of things I do are relative to, to my career. And I knew as a quarterback, you know, I was a kid that grew up in a steel town in Lackawanna, New York. And, and, and I realized when I got to the NFL, not everyone was like me. You know, uh, you know, there are guys from Texas and California and Florida. And so you, you almost have to be have the ability to adapt to all different kinds of personalities. And we used to call here in Philly our attitude adjustment Thursday, where we'd find a place to go and have a beer after practice. And, and, and that's where you get the bond with players. If it's an African-American player, if it's a, an Italian player, if it's whoever it may be, you get to know those people, you know, and, and expand your framework of influence and get to know those guys. So, we, you know, when it's gut check time, you've developed that off the field personal relationship with the guys that they want to go to bat for you. They want to go to war with you. And it's vice versa. I feel the same way about them because I got to know them, that I have their back. Yeah, I'm going to you. Something may go wrong. I've got you covered. A mistake is made. Hey, I'll, I'll cover it up for you. So I think Jalen Hurts, at least from what I heard, again, this, again, no one had any access to anybody live last year. A lot of it was uh, guys I've talked to on the phone that he has those attributes. He came from a great program in Alabama. You know, you, you're in that program over there. You know you, you, you got a high scrutiny on you and everything you do. You know, so you go to Oklahoma and look at what he does there. So here's a guy that has played big-time football, big-time teams with big-time players. So he learned a lot in those college years and has transformed very well to the NFL. George, uh, we're talking to the Polish rifle. Roger there Orson you go. On, uh, <laughs> Birds 365. I'm going to tap into your tape evaluating wonkiness again. I know your favorite position is quarterback. I oh, trust, yeah. <laughs> I trust your evaluation of all positions, more so quarterback than anything else. Have you had a chance to break down the look like five guys who are going to go in the first half of the first round this year in the NFL's draft at quarterback? Everyone believes Lawrence is number one, and then there's a lot of debate between two and five. Have you had a chance to break them all down? Is this as good a class as it's going to be drafted? And how do you rank the guys who are going to come off the board two weeks from tonight? Yeah, it, it, Jody, I, I would agree with your statement. This might be the best quarterback draft class I've ever seen from top-end talent and depth. Uh, there there could be six or seven guys going in the first couple rounds. I mean, it, it, it is that good. And I got to tell you, I am amazed at the growth at the quarterback position. When I watch these young players now, I am – just enamored with their talent I, you know hey i'd like to say i'm an old school kind of guy and you know we that was the era that the game was great and all that that stuff we like to say as old guys now this 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 nfl quarterback position now has changed these guys are incredibly talented what they are learning and i won't even go to the college level i'll go to their high school level what these kids are doing the seven on seven camps right now you know out in the midwest where most of these seven on seven camps are these guys are unbelievable. You know, I mean, the talent they have, the ability they have to read coverage, to get the ball out of their hand. I'm telling you, these RPOs and, uh, you know, the, the reads that they have to make instantaneously, 
I am just really impressed. And I've been getting impressed year after year. This group is even better. This is a very mentally intelligent, sharp group of quarterbacks. So you can just see it by their play. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is, you know, to me, he's head and shoulders above everybody. I mean, he's got, he's experienced and, and I'm a big guy in experience. Uh, I'm not big on these one year wonders that did it for one year and expect them to, you know, uh, to carry on for a 10 year NFL career. I like that old Bill Parcells theory. Give me a guy that started three or four years, had a game where he threw four interceptions, had a game where he got knocked the game due to injury, had a game where they got clobbered by somebody. Cause that's where you learn about a quarterback. How does he respond after throwing three interceptions in a game and you go back to work on Tuesday and you got to walk in the huddle and tell your teammates you're the leader? You know, those are the intangibles that we spoke about a little earlier. How do you win those guys over? So those are the important things that you have to have at the quarterback position. That's why I'd like the experienced guys that have been in those situations. And Trevor Lawrence is talented with great talent around him. But he's been beat up a little bit, too, and he's been injured a little bit, too. You know, he didn't fit, play the whole season last year. That hurt him as well. But I think when you look at the overall talent, the program he was with, Trevor Lawrence is, it, it, it is special. Now, Zach Wilson is also I, – I got a guy – you know, you can almost interchange some of these guys. Do you like chocolate or vanilla or do you like Neapolitan or maple walnut? They're, each quarterback has certain talents depending on the scheme you want to run that will fit whatever you want. I mean, Zach Wilson is obviously – this guy is just skyrocketed. And, man, I, I watch his pro day workouts. Oh, this guy, can he can rip it, man. He is big, strong, and can rip throws. And has a, you, know, you can't see it when you watch a game on TV, but I watch his pro day. And this kid kind of had that, I call it a, a smile smirk on his face, like, like bring it on. You know, he just he wanted to compete. And I like guys like that that just have that burning desire to be successful. And I saw that in Zach, in Zach Wilson. You know, Justin Fields has been a guy that that when you when you look at tape, you get excited about. A little bit like I, I talked about Jalen Hurts. Um, the thing I would say about Justin Fields, he is, he wants to escape the pocket too quick, and I worry about guys now. Hey, you can coach him out of that. You know, you get to the NFL where you're working every single day. You can coach guys out of that. And he wasn't to me a a read thrower. In other words, one, two, three, four, five, go through your progression. He was like one and done. Like if the play's designed to get the ball to one guy and he's not there, he had a tendency to bolt the pocket too quick. And you know why? Because he could. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an old line from Dick Vermeil. Josh, you know why quarterbacks run? Because they can. Because they can. Because they can. And and it it can it can be a positive and it can be a negative if you you know you don't know when to run. So uh, that's what I see in Justin Fields. Great talent. He's going to be a top five pick. Uh, but he's going to need to be coached up a little bit. He's one of those guys you see the physical talent, but he needs to be coached up. You could say that for all these guys, quite honestly. Uh, Trey Lance, another big guy, rip, rip throws, mobile, run over people. I'm just a big quarterback that could run over people. Mac Jones, I, I, I now I like Mac Jones's talent. This guy's an accurate thrower. He played in a great program. Tremendous wide receivers, pro style offense, reading. I, I just haven't seen the gun-type throws. And, and I always say in the course of a game, you're going to have to make two or three throws where you need arm strength, where you got to squeeze it, particularly on third and long, where you got multiple fast defensive backs in the game, and the window is very, very tight. Um, you know, Joe Flacco can make that throw. I'm not sure Mac Jones can make that throw. It just did, it didn't show, I didn't see enough of those throws where I say, 
oh, yeah, he can rip it in there and he can complete every single throw. I didn't see enough of those type throws. That was a little bit concerning to me. Kyle Trask, the kid down in Florida, is a big number. These guys are all big. You know, these quarterbacks now are 6'4", 6'5", 240. Those are, those are my offensive linemen in 1973 when I came into the league. <laughs> yeah. It's just amazing how, how, how big and strong these guys are and their intelligence. Very, very impressive. There's a guy that's kind of intrigued me that probably hasn't fit into the conversation, at least the people I talked to. Uh, the kid out of uh, Texas A&M, the Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond. Yeah, yeah very athletic guy. Uh, the, you, know, you, you could just see – with good, solid coaching, I, I can see the innate ability to play the quarterback position uh, a, a little bit raw, but you could just see if someone's willing to take a flyer on this kid where you believe in your coaching staff, developmental guy. I mean, I, I think possesses great talent. You know, he could be one of those guys. So, you know, that, that's, that, that's, you know, kind of a quick synopsis. I like the kid out of Notre Dame, uh, Ian Bach, not as a, a top-tier guy, but I watch enough Notre Dame games. This guy can make plays. He can throw the ball well. Fiery competitor, man. He got a burning desire to be successful. You know, so guys like that that I think you take a shot with may not be a 10-year starter, but a 10-year backup isn't bad. Hey, Jaws, you know, well, I got you real quick. I wanted to ask you, I'm sure you've seen the reports about the Eagles front office, the dysfunction, Jeffrey Lurie getting a little bit more involved in the day-to-day operations. You've been there as a consultant with some big decisions. What can you tell us about Jeffrey Lurie and how he gets involved uh, as, as far as positive and maybe some negative? Yeah, you know, I, I people perceive it mostly as a negative, and I don't know why. Uh, I, I think an owner involved is very good. Um, now, my personal feelings, and, and, and I, you know, I was on the committee to select Doug Peterson, so I, you know, I sat in those meetings. I helped conduct the interviews. Um, I, from, from my perspective and, and you look at what Jeffrey and how we have done and we, we made that hiring that worked out great. I, you know, I wasn't there every day afterwards. We got it right with Doug Peterson to bring him in there. Um, I do know that, you know, Jeffrey likes, he, he's not hands-on, but he likes to know what's going on. And oh, by the way, he's the owner. I don't see any problem with that. You know, that's, that's the way it should be. Uh, the owner should know what's going on. But I don't think he's as hands-on as people think he's hands-on. He wants to know what's going on, but I don't think he's dictating a lot of these decisions. So um, I, I, I was surprised the, at the articles that, that have been coming out, but in a, in a certain way, not surprised. Because, you know, I mean, that's just the way it is. And in Philadelphia, people are going to dig. They're going to find something. You can do 100 things right. They're going to find the one thing that they're not happy with. And hang their head on that. But I think, you know, that I, I think Jeffrey's learned a lot uh, as a team owner. Um, I think Howie's done a good job in most regards, except drafting. This is going to be a, this is a litmus test for Howie. There is, there's no question. A lot of picks in the, in this draft, a lot of picks for uh, next year, potentially three number ones. Um, Howie's done a lot of good things. He hasn't drafted well recently and he knows it. He knows he's got to start getting some base hits. He can't be striking out on these high draft choices. And that's the, the Achilles heel right now of Howie. It, and, it's not just Howie, and he's got to organize his staff and from the coaching and scouting perspective. This is very important. You know, in my, in my years, uh, 28 years, not only is it uh, 17 years as a player, but 28 years at ESPN and five years of doing Monday night football, I had access to great access to all these teams, you know, practices, production meetings, interview 10 players every Saturday and Sunday. You get, you get a real inside view of each organization and how they operate. 
So to me, it's really clear that you better have a scouting department that is really in sync. It's not like I'm the czar and you do. No, you got to listen to these people. I've been in I've been in other teams' war rooms. Their scouting departments' war rooms. You wouldn't believe the information they have on guys. We we as maybe some fans just react to one thing. These teams have in depth studies on every single player, and you've got to trust your scouting department. And I you know I, I talked to Howie a lot. I said you you've got to trust the guys you put out there, or or get new ones. If you don't trust the guys you hire, you know then you've got the wrong people. So. You know, I, I think they – well, I know they made some adjustments this year. We'll see how, how it plays out. George, last question for me. Sure. I'm going to ask you to put your 20-plus-year uh, analysis <laughs> thought process aside. I'm going to ask you to put your Eagle-favored son advisor role aside. I'm taking you back to Ron Jaworski, the NFL quarterback days. Okay, if I like there that. Is, if there is dysfunction in the Eagles organization, whatever level it is, infighting, uh, being reported on and the like, where the Eagles organization is at today. If you're a player, can you narrow focus so that you just stay in your task at hand, preparing for season, improving your own skills, getting ready for games week in, week out, even if you know there is issues within your organization? may be affecting your coaching staff, may not, uh, but you have a job to do and you know what your job is and you should be able to stay focused on that and not have what may be considered chaos around you within the organization affecting your job. How easy or difficult is that to do from a player perspective? I think it's easy to do. I, I really, you, you have a job to do. You are a player. The average career in the NFL is 3.1 years. You have a very short career. You make a lot of money for a short period of time. Most players, in fact, you know, my 17 years with different organizations, with the Dolphins, the Chiefs, the, the Rams, and the Eagles, players are focused on their job. Number one, you got to make the team first. They're, for the most part, oblivious to some of the, the, the chaos that goes on in the front office. Yeah, you talk about it, but I think as a player, you realize, number one, you better win your job then you better win your starting job, and then you better win. We all know it's a short career. We all know that, hey, if you don't win, it's shorter. So you focus on your job, you find a way to win, and you answer to your coach. Now, obviously, the front office has another job to do. They're another part of the building, the second floor, the third floor. You know, with the old vet, I think it was a seventh floor. It was way up in the, <laughs> way up in the vet. But each team, there, there, there clearly is a segregation of the front office to the coaching and player side. And I think from a coaching and player side, you focus mostly on how do we get ready, number one, as a player to make the team, as a coaching staff, get the right players and win. Last one for me, Joe. So it's going to be a fun one. Your <laughs> I like fun ones, John. Yeah. Celebrity <laughs> Golf Tournament coming up June 27th, 28th, Harris Resort. I think it's at Blue Heron, correct? In that is correct. Township. Yep. Uh, your favorite, give me your favorite foursome. You played with a lot of famous people <laughs> over the years. Give me a favorite foursome. Um, I can tell you what one, one that was a favorite. And, and this guy wasn't the president at the time, uh, president Trump. I had a chance to play with him about uh, eight or nine years ago when I was doing Monday night football and he invited Gruden and Tirico out to, uh, to play with him up in Bedminster. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a chance to play with him. And the best part of it was we just – he told stories. And every tee, you had to wait because you had to tell a story. So it was it was <laughs> memorable at that time. This was pre-presidency, so it was enjoyable. I had a chance to play with Jordan Spieth 
uh, in a pro-am who's now one of the great PGA players of all time. And that, that, was, a, that was really, really a, a lot of fun. And I had a chance to play with Charles Barkley way back in the day when he actually was a good golfer, John, before he went, uh, had brain problems, you know, and <laughs> couldn't swing the club. Uh, but it, he actually was a good player. And again, when you're with Charles, you always have fun. Oh, you always I could, have fun. I could probably go on and on and on uh, and, and talk about the guys I play. But, but I, I do want to mention, John, thanks, thanks for bringing this up because I've been running this golf tournament for 37 years. This will be the 37th year. Nice. We've raised over $6 million for at-risk youth in our community. And, and I get great pride in that. And I'll tell you a football story about this. Out at Hunting Park, we, we rebuilt the football field there. The Jaws Youth Playbook is my foundation, the Philadelphia Conservancy, and the Michael Vick Foundation. Uh, rebuilt the field, put lights on the field up at Hunting Park. This kid was in the seventh grade at the time. We didn't know it at the time because it was a few years back. His name is Kyle Pitts. Oh, wow. He played yeah. on that field. Kyle, and it, we're going to do a story on it uh, for the draft. You know, Michael Vick and I made it, our foundations made contributions to build that field, put lights on the field. We built a playground around there. And this kid was there. And we actually got pictures of Michael Vick throwing him a pass. Uh, I'm talking about it. And wouldn't you know it? It's Kyle Pitts. It might be the best player in this draft. He won't go as number one, but might be the best player in this draft. Local kid. That field we put at Hunting Park. Based on people supporting my events, supporting Michael Vick's foundation, we give back. We help these kids in the inner cities. We help the kids that are at risk. And I thank all my sponsors and supporters through the years because that's a really good story. You go play golf, but you're also helping a kid like Kyle Pitts, who is in, he's playing in dirt and mud. All of a sudden, he's got a brand new field to play on. It makes a difference, and we make a difference. He's going to be playing on some pretty nice fields for the next few <laughs> yeah. days. You're so right, Jody. I would tend to uh, agree with that. Uh, Jaws, thank you much for coming on. We appreciate it greatly. We're going to tap into your wealth of knowledge. You'll be glad to know they put a picture up for you. And damn, you I, I, look I gotta good. I got to work on my technology. That's a 20-year-old picture, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's taken from back in the Monday Night Football days. You're looking I good. That was la- I think that was six months ago. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Joyce, good <laughs> stuff. We hey, great. I, had, I love to join you guys again. So please don't hesitate to give me a shout. And I'm going to work on the video part here. I'm, I've got half it, right? I got the audio. <laughs> we will certainly tap into you Thanks, Charles. Thank you much. That you is right. Thank you, guys. Here with us on Birds. 365. We'll come back, put a bow on the show, wrap up this Thursday edition. Stay with us here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. 
The, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have Lil Harry or Lil Maze. Lil Maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, you don't even God. need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Come down the home stretch on a Thursday edition of Birds 365. Week two almost in the books. We'll tell you what we got planned for you tomorrow. Uh, John McMullen, Jody McDonald hanging with you. Can't thank Ron Jaworski enough for hopping on board with us, giving us three different uh, positions. The former player, the former analyst, the guy who has been uh, tight with the Philadelphia Eagles and at time been asked for his expertise and as a vice. So we tapped into as many personas as Jaws has to give you a little insight, Eagle fans. We thank him and uh, also Kevin Kincaid for hopping on earlier with us. Uh, we've got a good one uh, planned for tomorrow. You procured a couple of good guests for us, right, JM? Yeah, John Clark is going to be with us uh, from NBC Sports Philadelphia. He's got a new podcast and he just had Daniel Jeremiah on. Obviously, Johnny Airport is plugged into the Eagles. He was the guy who got Doug Peterson first on that podcast. We also have Nick Biero from the Allentown Morning Call, been covering this team for a really long time. So it keeps rolling on. It keeps churning, Jody Mack. I have never had Nick on one of my shows for one reason and one reason only. He's loyal to Ricky Ricardo, who has go. been on WIP, the voice of the Eagles, and Espanol for a long time. So I don't want to tap into Ricky's guest. He always has Nick on all the time. I've heard Nick on with Ricky uh, so many times over the years. He is very good, and we are looking forward to talking to him tomorrow. And John Clark, I love because you talk about uh, glass half full. And there's a reason why he is Johnny Sunshine. He Johnny always Sunshine, does. Baby, he yeah. always does find the positive things. Mr. So John- Philadelphia. And by the way, old school big wrestling fan. Not so much today, but I know yeah. he's a Springsteen guy. He's a wrestling guy too. Oh my God. He used to he used to publish the wrestling flyer when he was in high school. Really? How do and I not know this about Johnny I, Sunshine? I don't know. He used to get interviews. In that industry, as a high school kid, when nobody would give interviews, so you kind of knew it was going to turn into a, a media star. All right, since since uh, you went there, we got a couple minutes before we got to wrap this up. Um, they made a change in broadcasting uh, wrestling. Uh, they moved NXT from Wednesday night to Tuesday night, 
because I watched it Tuesday night. And last night, they had AEW. They're not competing anymore, so you don't have to watch one, record the other, go back and watch it afterwards. I don't think I've ever asked you about AEW. Are you a staunch WWE guy who won't watch it because no, that's no. the competition? Or No, I you... actually, I, actually I, I know Tony Khan, uh, who runs AEW's. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he... Uh, his dad owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, obviously. Uh, I broke the AEW television story. So uh, I talked to uh, when they got their first television contract. Really? Uh, and and Tony uh, it loves pro wrestling. Um, so, no, I I don't care. As long as you put on a good product, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Understood, and uh, you and I see it the same way. We'll get that out of John Clark tomorrow. We got plenty on the Eagles. We're also getting a little wrestling in with John Clark. Uh, JM, good job today. Always a pleasure, my friend. I say we do this again 22 hours from now. What do you think? Uh, let's make it 21 hours, 55 minutes. We will be back. Same bad time, same bad channel tomorrow. The channel being the Jacob Media YouTube channel, or if you link in with us on phillyvoice.com, we're glad when you do hop aboard, you'll get a Mac and Mac show again tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel. Be tuned right back here for Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.